Hey, welcome to Mojo Moments. I'm your host, Thane Calder, and we're in season two. Anyway, welcome. And you know what? It's possible over this season you're going to hear a disproportionate amount of musicians on Mojo Moments because I have a secret fantasy. That secret fantasy is to stand on a stage playing wonderful sounds with my guitar and serenading the night with sweet lyrics. Truth is, this will not happen. I am officially tone deaf, and this has been confirmed, no kidding, by Silenzion's sound engineer. We'll save that story for another day. Anyway, whatever it is, I have a massive, massive amount of respect for musicians and their craft. They're kind of the epitome of mojo masters. Yeah, they create music. They stand on a stage in front of a bunch of people, naked almost. They hustle across the country in vans and sleep in crappy places. And they got to keep up their spirits despite the rocky road they live to make a livelihood. On top of it, they're probably the most powerful collective out there giving our own lives mojo. Whether that be our, you know, as we're working quietly with our headphones on or walking the streets on our way to work. Of course, music colors our most memorable moments, our evenings, our grad proms, our weddings, our best parties. Music is the backbone of mojo. Our next guest is a living embodiment of my personal fantasy. He stands on a stage and creates wonderful, sweet sounds with his guitar and voice. Born here in Quebec, he's a hardworking, creative master, road tripping musician. He's also a generous soul. He's the master behind our own music on Mojo Moments. His name is Chris Vellin. Chris Vellin, sir, welcome to Mojo Moments. It's very nice to be here. Um, You're looking crispy clean on that mobile phone. Good. I don't smell that way, though. (laughs) <laughs> that's why we do this thing virtually now nothing to do with covid wise so speaking of covid like uh crazy times very heady times like how are you uh living this period i'm rather lucky because um i have a place in the country in uh, these two townships so i'm in sutton quebec and the reason that's easier is just because of like space and density of people. So you just feel a bit less, um, I don't know. Uh, you feel the effects less because you just got more, more of the space, you know? So it's been nice in that regard. And because I'm a creative type who spends a lot of time on his own, it kind of gives me the permission to do that. This whole pandemic is sort of because the whole world has to, change and take time on their own and be on their own it sort of gives me permission to do it even more so it's actually i've gotten a lot out of it uh creatively and through just personal i don't know growth that kind of stuff um there's a low level you know low level anxiety there too and it pops up once in a while but on the whole it's sort of like it's it's weird to say but it's been good for me do you, do you feel there's been different phases of that feeling? Like I call it the, there was the, the, the mm-hmm. bread baking period at the beginning. <laughs> then there's the summer, like 
more, hot. you know, hazy, boozy, nice, hot. And then the fall new, like new vibe coming on. Like, did, oh, did yeah, you feel there sure. were different the, moods the through that? time was sort of that there was the novelty of it still. So we didn't know what was happening, what was coming. And we were discovering new ways to be alone and on our, on our own and with our families and whatever. And then, and then, yeah, we sort of got sick of that. Um, by the end of, I don't know what it was, end of April, probably <laughs> beginning of May. And we're just, things started, the weather started to get nicer and then summer came. Yeah. And there was, we could sort of forget a little that it was around. And then now like in Quebec today is a, a really, um, auspicious day because it's the day we're sort of starting officially starting the second wave lockdown and I can feel like a collective weirdness going on out there in the streets and among people and in myself more than anything like I'm in the city right now so I think I'm sensitive to it too when I come into town yeah I must feel like a totally uh different man yeah. from the country because, but I miss it too I miss the, en- the energy of having a lot of people around you know that's why I love the city and I would never choose just to be in the country. I would, I would, I would always sort of have a combination of the two. It's interesting, though. You were saying that you found a good period to to take a step back, and you, despite some of the, say, moments of blips of anxiety through there, but but you've been able to get some creative juice out of this. Um, but you know, you know, the experts, the COVID experts, they were expecting a, a kind of what they call a COVID baby boom because of people being more at home and. It actually hasn't at all panned out that way. In fact, and even though this show is not about the other type of mojo, but the libido of people is way down. And I was talking to uh, another friend who's really into uh, reading, and he's like, I can't read. Like, I don't have any desire to read right now, which sounds so weird because I I would have had no excuse to not read. Like, I, I wouldn't feel guilty about it. And then, and I was talking to another musician friend who's a singer songwriter and he's just like, I, I don't have it. Like I'm in a listening mood. I don't, I'm just trying to see what's in there, you know? Mind you, that was earlier in the summer. So I don't know if maybe that's changed for him. That's so. a good point though. I was having, in my case, I was having problems at the start of the, um, way back in March, you know, when this whole thing started. I was having problems tapping into or giving, even giving myself permission or finding that desire to write. I was certainly feeling a whole lot of things, but to sit down and write them was strange because it's like, well, to write a song right now, like what is, it felt like a strange act to do in the face of everything. It felt so insignificant. It felt so meaningless actually to do that, that, I, that it kept me from doing it for a while and that's weird too because i had been pulled from ripped away from a residency at banff a songwriting residency that started march 2nd went till march 15th until they had to close down the banff center and we were sort of all unceremoniously like booted out and so i came from a, a sort of like highly creative environment where you're really vulnerable and open and 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 to, to back to this and it kind of and, just, and you're and you're like in the groove of like i'm gonna create yeah, good yeah, stuff here and then it was like their, boom their, their groove and it was a very sort of supportive environment and we were and then you're just kind of ripped from it into sort of reality as it were and i came back and it was just sort of clamped down on me and i was just like oh i i can't give myself permission right now to just sit down it feels self-indulgent you know to sit down and write songs like it didn't make sense it just didn't make sense so there is that processing, like you can't force that kind of thing. Sometimes you just do have to live 
um, through things and live your life and feel what you feel. And then you can process it later. You know, you can't force yourself to take advantage of, of a situation like that when things are getting stirred up. There's a certain wisdom in just being like, okay, I'm not forcing this. I'm just going to live through it. And then when I can process it, I'll write, I'll write it, you know, when it. And, when and have you found that stride now? I eventually came, came around to, to finding a way to um, do it and give myself permission to do it and let the stuff flow. And that was good. Like, that's good. And now, and now it's there. And so I'm, I'm realizing like, this is, this is what I do. This is all I can do in the face of this stuff. So why not? Yeah, just, just do it. Just let yourself do it. (laughs) For me, so much about dating and writing songs is giving yourself permission to do it and to say what you, what you need to say and just to not censor it. My dad was really into bluegrass, but a lot of the sounds that came out of the civil war, a lot of the music of the civil war in the U S was born out of that. I don't know if it was during the war or more after when people gave themselves permission to capture the stories of, of what went on or, or we think of the, you know, the sixties, the late sixties, a lot of music came out of that period. And yeah, uh, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see in a few years what came out of this period, you know, not only are we dealing with COVID, we're dealing with all that craziness going on. So yeah. of the border, yeah. right. There's a lot of upheaval, uh, like on every level of society. It's, it's super disorienting. And I think probably a lot of people right now feel like there's just too much being said about it. That's, that's what I'm interested in too. Like with the whole, everything being shared all the time, it's like, and so much music being out there and so much commentary, it becomes very meta and instantaneous. You're like, Oh God, I don't want to write a song about this. Like what, you know what I mean? (laughs) What? Yeah, I guess you kind of feel like I'm not adding anything to it. I'm just jumping on the same bandwagon or Yeah, I'm just sort of like throwing up into the same vacuum of of people, you know, giving their opinion or saying how they feel and I guess that's what if you can't do that, well then there's not going to be any art, so you got to find a way to do it. But uh Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what kind of expression comes out of this stuff. So can we just talk about your, your roots of music a little? So my, my peeps were asking me, like, how do you know Chris, your old buddies? I said, yeah, well, he's, he's my buddy, but we don't see each other. <laughs> uh, but he's actually, well, he became my son's friend, although Chris doesn't know that, but, you know, my, my children are like, my friend Chris, because they listen to your music in the uh, car. Uh, but Salin, my wife, knew you from way back, and... So it, did it all start with you and your brother as an equalizer? Was that like in high school? Were you guys like jamming out? Is that when it all started? Or? Well, I've been playing guitar since I was nine and writing songs since I was, let's say, 14. So it's always been there. And I played in different groups in high school. And then when I was in university, I played in a group all through four years of university. And then equalizer, that band you're mentioning that I was in with, my brothers that started when I was in law school. So I've always had music going alongside everything I'm doing, everything I've been doing. Um, and it was only later uh, after I left law and went and did a documentary film in West Africa that I decided to like, okay, let's, this is what you want to do. This is what you're passionate about. This is what you're drawn to. Let's just, let's just, Try doing music. Wait, wait, let's pause this. So you, 
So I knew you did the law school thing. Did you actually write your bar or, or you didn't go, you do that part? I did, yeah. So yeah. you did the whole thing? Yeah. The, in British Columbia, not in Quebec. But it's a bar. Uh, I, went to school, bar. I went to school here in, in Montreal, but I, I ended up doing my, my bar in BC. And was there a moment like, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to do this? Or it never really felt that that was going to be your path? I think for a while I, I had sort of convinced myself that that was something that I wanted to do. I mean, there were, you know, I wanted to get into environmental law, like not from the nonprofit side and get into international human rights. Like I want, I didn't want to do like corporate law, but um, I guess what I realized doing through law school and then through my um, articling was that I was like divided in myself. Um, and I didn't feel a passion for the law that I noticed in, in the lawyer's who I respected, like they were passionate about it. They wanted to, they knew they wanted to do it and they loved it. And I didn't recognize in myself that same sort of passion or love. Um, And because, you know, I'm, I'm an artist. And so I guess what I realized was, even though there are aspects of a lawyer in me and wanting to do good for society and, you know, social mindedness, I could serve that with, with music somehow you know what i mean like and i can find ways to use music to to satisfy that and challenge myself and so do you think that's like kind of a key piece and you know our whole show is about mojo but you know like you need to align what you really believe in with what you're doing I, yeah i think so um and did you yeah and did you find that like when you like when you went and did because in sierra leone had you gone on a mission or were you right out, we're doing a documentary? Myself and two of my close buddies from university went and did this documentary and we each had a different role in it. Um, although we were all wearing different hats, but it was our, the first time I, any of us had made a documentary. But we'd spoken about this idea of going to do a film documentary in, in Africa, in some sort of war-affected region, um, a documentary that, that sort of looked into music and I guess how that affects or is used by um, people in sort of humanitarian crises, because we all have this love for African music and interest in it and international affairs. And we just, we're just like, well, look, let's combine our talents and go try and do this. And then we, we were put in touch with someone in the UN high commission for refugees who himself is a musician and former refugee um, from Rwanda. And um, so our interests lined up really (laughs) really well and he directed us to um guinea where all the at the time refugees from sierra leone um had set up camps refugee camps in the hundreds of thousands and he had a whole sort of group of musicians that he knew in the camps and then local musicians in guinea in Conakry. and he loved the idea of using music to tell the story of refugees like letting refugees tell their own story through music and so he helped us and, and um, he, he became critical to us being able to do it and getting us the permission papers and, the, you know, all of the, the documents basically to travel through this country. Because you, you can't really just show up as a tourist in Guinea and go, go into a refugee camp. So <laughs> I guess not. Yeah. So that's how it happened. It, it, we were all very green. We didn't know what we were getting into, but it turned out to be a, um, a very, well, transformative experience for me, but then also for everyone involved in the band who were the subjects of the film went on to have a long um, touring and recording career. Um, it's been put on hold now, but. Um, yeah, I remember seeing the documentary. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was awesome. And, 
And, and, and, and, but so what, was it during that process that you sort of got clear on, I'm choosing the music path? Yeah. I'd always sort of fought against the, the possibility of doing music. I guess just the way I, I was raised or whatever, I was just sort of, I believed that like, you can't make a life out of that. And when I, when I spent all this time with the Refugee All-Stars um, and saw what music did for them and just how important music was as a force, like in their camp, in their lives, and to everyone else involved in the project, uh, I realized like, what, what have I been fighting? Like, this is what it's all about. This is all I've ever wanted to do. And so all that questioning sort of, it didn't make sense anymore. I was like, I got to give this a go, you know? I got to listen to... If these guys can do it in a refugee camp, then I can certainly do it back home, you know? It's interesting because I remember, uh, I don't know, it was around when you came back and you were editing the film or whatever, but that's when you worked at Cloudraker a little bit, possibly. What year are we, like 2005-ish or so? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you were doing copywriting on website stuff. And Mm -hmm. I had this memory of us going for lunch in a diner. I don't know if you remember this. I think and I what, do. And we were having uh, like a club sandwich, which club sandwiches are weirdly expensive. I don't know why. But anyway, it was like a big expensive lunch in a diner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like trying to convince you to do the copywriting thing. And, you know, the music you can always keep as a hobby on the side or something like that. And I remember just your body language is, you didn't say no or yes. You just were politely <laughs> like kind of just smiled a little. And I was like, no, this guy loves music. This is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple months later, like, hey, I'm heading on the road, but I can write for you while I'm on the road. <laughs> yeah, I did. it's funny, though. It did take me, there was a little transition time between coming back from West Africa and actually sort of jumping in with both feet. A friend of mine that I grew up with, got really into uh, like Highland and, 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 and Irish uh, Celtic music and all that. And, it, and his teacher, I forget his name, this guy down the Eastern Townships, older guy who taught him the bagpipes, uh, was his roommate was Leonard Cohen at McGill way back. And Leonard Cohen actually came from a very well-off family in the Shmata industry or something like that. And then there was a lot of pressure for him to go into the family business. Yeah. And apparently Leonard and this other guy whose name I can't remember, who was my friend's teacher, was a musician, but more this Celtic stuff. And he came from not a very well-off yeah. context. And Leonard Cohen apparently sort of said to him, you're so lucky. <laughs> you can just, you, you could just play yeah. music. <laughs> There's no, perm- you don't need permission. <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, yeah, fuck. Look who turned out well on that front. <laughs> so one of the things I love, like I love your music, by the way, and I like that you have African influences there. I'm going to call them African influences. Was, was that happening before going to Africa? You were already sort of drawn to the sounds or you, you picked it up and discovered a lot more of the sounds? A bit there. of both. I was already drawn, drawn to the sounds. Um, I'd grown up listening a lot to uh, reggae, you know, from Jamaica and loved that. So I was very like drawn towards like groove heavy music 
And when I was in university, I just I was taking courses of African history and African culture and music. And the more I listened to you, the more I was like, oh, right, this is just taking it to a, a whole other level of, um, well, of like rhythm because it follows different time signatures and it's got a, a completely different aesthetic to it than Western music, you know, where it's a lot more, um, well, first of all, it was used in very in recent history too I, I would say like western music also had this history to it but we've had so many centuries of getting away from that but in in african music there's just it's used in in, in it's, it's present every day in culture and it's used culturally and it's used spiritually religiously and it's very direct so we don't have like the the distance between sort of pop music and what we would call I don't know, traditional or ceremonial music is like, it's like this, it's like, it's, it's right there. And so that, that sort of like um, immediacy to it uh, really, really interested me. It, it just, there's something in it. I was like, I don't understand. This is such a mystery. This, these people can be playing such heavy, complicated polyrhythmic grooves for so long. Like I can't even sort of, I can't even count the time signature. <laughs> it's just yeah. sort of like, it's just sort of there and known. And so I was drawn to that. I was like, what is this? I want to be able to play this. And then also I, I really love the guitar. A lot of African guitar innovator sounds like that actually came from traditional instruments like the Ambira. Once Western guitar, like in the sixties, um, there was a lot of like guitar Western music that made it over there. And, and you know, a lot of these countries were achieving independence and, and there was just a, a sort of a renaissance and a blossoming. And so they were taking like electric guitars and trying to imitate Imbira lines and coming up with these just really cool sounds and complicated patterns. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. That is insane. I've never heard that. So I was already going through that process of, of trying to figure that out for myself when, when the, um, the All-Stars movie became a possibility. And then when I went there, it just, it just deepened, you know, um, because I got, I got exposed to the, the Ghanaian musical tradition, which is different than the Sierra Leonean one, but the, the Ghanaian one and the Sierra Leonean one, which a lot of it came from, came from the West Indies. So it's sort of this carnival music and reggae, but sort of an African take on it. And then the Ghanaian music was all part of the, the Malinke empire, which is just this rich um, musical tradition with the Kora and the, and the Balafon, which is the sort of like, we call it a xylophone. I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Ali Fakature, and uh, actually, it, it, just before I, before I jump on my Mojo podcast, I do this thing. It's a tradition. I go for a run. It gets me in the mood. And in uh, the tune, I'm so bad at the names of songs, but I wrote it down because I just I just listen to them. But you're on your own now. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing in there, but you've thrown some really cool sounds in there. It's pretty awesome. Now, I don't know where the inspirations come in in there, but it's just got a wicked, and then you change it up near the end and it's got this, Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's, it's like exotic as shit. Man. Thanks, yeah. Ex yeah, that's sort of an example of me trying to honor those, like, those parts of me that want to bring that in, you know, like bring it into sort of songwriting. It's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm a writer, you know, and so there's this always this there's always been this tension between trying to be poetic and literary, while also trying to explore like a groove thing, 
and they're they're often at odds with each other you know like groove music it's not about words it's it's not about what you say it's how you say it and you don't want to let the words get in the way of like the groove and word music you know we we're talking yeah. about Leonard Cohen and that kind of stuff Leonard's got no like high tempo groove music and there's a reason for that because he's just all poetry and words right yeah. and you want to let those speak but I'm trying to kind of do both and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but I just feel compelled to always try and do it <laughs> It's funny you say it because I, I made a pack with my kids, you know, around music, which is when we're in the car, we take turns. Not every song, but sometimes on a road trip, it's their tunes, sometimes it's my tunes. And it's just, you know, I think it's, I didn't want to be that dad who's like, uh, you know, new music sucks. And there's only what I listen to. And uh, it's been awesome because they, they've been exposed to your stuff, to to Bob Dylan, to the Stones, to R.E.M., whatever, you know, they've... Mm -hmm discovered a bit my my tunes and i've discovered theirs and it's interesting because when i listen to some of them their tunes i've really grown fond like of you know their their world is like juice world young boy never broke again <laughs> and 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 that baby and metro booming but like juice world is interesting because he died he's like he was my kids kurt cobain moment he, this guy just passed away young guy died too young drugs difficulties but a very prolific writer but great great groove too and when you were just describing there you know how do what's that balance between you know the the lyrics and and bringing that together you know because some of some of the you know contemporary hip-hop and all that is just someone's just you just feel a cool vibe but you know yeah. they're saying nothing they're talking about their yeah. body parts and you know their lamborghini and shit like that but some of them are actually very some of the music is very prolific and so i made a my own pack because because i like the african sounds and i'm trying to contribute to my kids sort of hip-hop repertory and maybe give them a little edge over their buddies maybe you know like hey have you heard this song? so i've been checking out african hip-hop sounds and some of it is super cool. There's, I'm gonna name, like this guy, a couple Nigerians, uh, techno, Burna, Burna boy, and then, uh, and coming out of Ghana, uh, Jules yeah. and Medical. Have you heard of these guys? Like, yeah, like it's awesome, yeah. awesome sounds. I follow. Like, I, I actually go on um, Apple Music, and I go. They have an option to go on um, like country to country. What the charts, the sort of the charts are per country. So you can go to countries like you can go to Nigeria, you can go to Ghana and see what's charting in Ghana um, or Ivory Coast or whatever. And it's a lot of it crosses over because the sort of the mega stars are going to be charting on in every yeah. country in this playlist. But that's where I'm going to, to find a lot of stuff, actually. We won't waste the podcast on how to teach me to do that, but I'm going to do that. Speaking of, since we were talking about Apple, let's do a little Apple deep dive here. Okay. okay? <laughs> you know, I do do homework. You know, I don't just show up on my Mojo podcast. There's a lot of preparation here. Right. You're feeling it. You're feeling very pro, very pro. Um, so I was looking and assuming their algorithm is right. So you go on like songs, top songs. Yeah. Of Chris Vallon. Yeah. And they put it in order, I assume. And you got Sweet Mary there. Yeah. Yeah. I should have. I could have just stopped right there. <laughs> it's probably one of your oldest tunes. Like when did you wrote that? Like, like a long time ago, no? Like yeah, that was that was uh, ninety eight. 
And that was just to fill out Equalizer's one and only album, that band that I was with my, my brothers. We needed another track. And so we're like, oh, let's just put this acoustic song at the end of it. Because it was, it was otherwise a full band album, you know, like reggae. And so it was just like you're, you threw this on at the end? Yeah. I had it floating around and let's just do it live. And we did it live in the studio. Me and my brother Mike was singing harmony on it. And then that was the song that seemed to travel the furthest and continues to. Does it bug you <laughs> that it does? No, no, because it makes sense. I know how that works. It's just, it had its own journey. It had its own like path, you know? I wrote it at a time where it just, it wanted to be heard. And then it's sort of like, it was an acoustic thing. So it's more like a campfire song. And so like a lot of kids took it to camp with them. And then that would spread through you know, summer camps. And I've had a lot of people say like, who are now adults be like, that's, you know, that song represents sort of my whole camp experience, you know, at, at this and such and such camp. And I think it just makes sense that that, that song had legs. It's just, it's a story that people can relate to about love and loss. And it's sort of, I don't know, it just has this thing to it. Well, I saw it with my eldest son this summer, and I shouldn't say this, he's going to kill me if ever he hears this, but he had kind of his first girlfriend this summer. Yeah. And, he, I, you know, I don't mean, because I don't listen to lyrics, by the way, and I shouldn't tell you this, a guy who prides himself on lyrics, but I listen to the groove. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but he, you know, I assume Sweet Mary captures a bit of that energy coming your first summer love. I don't know, campground, I don't know what it is, but... It's a feeling that it's funny because you know when you did your your Sunday sessions there in the early COVID, yeah, and and, and you could Instagram in like your requests, you know. Yeah. My wife's like, "Sweet Mary," and like, yeah. I was like, I kind of feel this responsibility to honor like to musicians, like you got to celebrate their latest stuff too. And I was like, "No, you can't ask him that. That's like <laughs> that's way back in the bag." And she's like, "Yeah, but that's the one I love." And I'm like, "Give yeah, me." <laughs> No, that's fine. I don't get annoyed. I mean, at all. That's I, I'm, I'm like proud of that song. And I, if someone wants to hear it, I'll play it for sure. I find new ways to connect to it every time. But so that's I, it. It's often the case that, you know, an artist, like one of their early songs and people really connect to, and then some people can never really duplicate that. So back in our little Apple deep dive, since we're in there, it's like, yeah. so your second song then goes to the, almost the other end of the spectrum in terms of your... Almost in your in your in your musical creation to un-American Gothic is the second there. Oh yeah, which is a totally different vibe. Like it's incredible. Yeah, it's a totally different vibe. It's sort of got more of a political, um, historical, <laughs> dystopic sort of <laughs> veto. But that's again, that's like a real groove-driven tune with a lot of you know African music influences in it too. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know how the algorithm works, man. Don't even get me started on it. Okay, but do you look at it? Do you look at this data? Do I do. I do, and I, it's based in hard numbers and everything, but it's obviously not a neutral player in it. So like this thing called algorithmic value and how things move up the ladder, that whole game is is curious, you know? And, and it often means that it often means that stuff that could get listened to and be liked is, is lost. 
So I never go to listen to an artist. I never go to, to their sort of top songs. I sort of find them in an indirect way by going onto the radio, listen to radio for a certain song that I like. And so a certain style of that, oh, I love that song. I wonder what else it'll show me in that style. And then I'll sort of come across an artist that way. Now let's go back to the whole music and mojo story here. So, so I was saying earlier, you worked briefly at Cloud, okay? Yeah. At Cloud Record, copywriting, try to convince you, drop your musical career. <laughs> Not really, but I was just doing my job. Yeah. I saw, I saw potential there. Um, and, um, and I realized that wasn't going to happen, but you know, for your own mojo, like what does it, you know, what does it give you? It's kind of the only thing that makes sense to me <laughs> in life. Like, and the greatest feeling I know is to have a song idea, some sort of inspirational idea, some little thing. And it's like, to take that and to bring it to completion and then to play it for people is just the greatest feeling in the world. And to know that there's something true and compelling in that, and then to be able to share that, it feels like you're sitting on a little, little treasure, you know, and that feeling of being in that, like the creative part of it, the creating part of it is one of the greatest feelings because you're just sitting on something that's gold to you and you have to wrestle with it and you don't know what the outcome's going to be but you know you have to do it anyway and then if you come out on the other end you actually have a good song and you can share it for pe with people it's like i can't imagine a better feeling it's such a high to do that that you just keep chasing it in a sense and that so, doesn't mean that you just want your song to be like a radio hit it just means like you want to keep improving on giving something that's like even more and more distilled down to something that's like honest, an honest expression of whatever that emotion is. Like, even if it's a love song, how can I like express this feeling of love I have in me at this moment in a way that no one's done before. And that will make someone else feel like a certain, you know, a new way, like see it in a new way. So like when you replay uh, your tunes, are you still tapping into that feeling? Ideally, yes. Ideally, yes. But what happens is the further you get away from creating the song and sharing it, it becomes something different. So you kind of have to keep reconnecting with it and not hold on to what it was before. You have to be like, oh, what is this song saying to me now? And sometimes it's often, it's very different than what it was when you wrote it and why you wrote it. Or you even start to understand even more what you were trying to say in this song. Yeah. Like 10 years later, you know, like songwriting is a strange mystical process where it's often your subconscious or your heart something deep in you that's sort of pre it's not mind it's 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 here it's speaking to you and it's coming out using your mind as a tool but you only know what it means later when it's done you know yeah so i guess you talk about mojo that's it it's that that mystery of it and it's I'm, i always feel like a beginner when i write a song so it's always something new and it's always you're always learning something new about yourself and you're just chasing, chasing beauty and truth, really, and, and trying to make that into something good that someone is going to connect with. And I can't, I can't think of anything else to do. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense to me in life, and it allows me to make sense of my life and the world, and, and it brings me joy, and I, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. What do you do? Like, you, you got to have ups and downs, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. What do, so, what do you, so what do you do when you got the downs? Like, how, what do you, like? Well, I mean, in, in relation to music and sort of yeah, yeah. feeling around that, 
Yeah, we're not getting into the deep. We can't get too personal. <laughs> Keep it to the professional music. Life. No, I mean, it's because what you do is, is like, is inextricably connected with sort of you and your voice that it's, yeah, you got to really ride a lot of that and, and either channel it into the music or not. But when I'm down about music and, and I have a pretty strong sensor, uh, self-sensor, so that's something I sort of, you know, I've been getting to know more and trying to like, trying to just give less power to, you know, there's a perfectionist part of me and, and that can be a real killer for creativity. Um, so usually when I'm down about music, it's related to, you know, how I'm feeling about myself and like the meaningfulness of what I do. And if I'm feeling that way, I'm not going to create something that's pretty, that's not good. I'm not going to create something good from that place. So I just kind of let myself go through it and, and sit through it and not try and force anything out and then wait until it passes until I'm inspired again. And then, and then I have the juice I need, but I've, I've gotten better at listening to sort of my own rhythms and, and when is a good time to sit down and write and when is, when it's not a good time to do that. Cause it's tricky these days too, because like music has been in so many ways, like demonetized and, and devalued. Right. And by that I mean devalued like monetarily, but also sort of like it's been commodified. And so and when you're an artist and you're trying to create music, it's very easy to just be like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, it never did as a career, but am I, am I giving anything to society that's like useful right now? Because like, even even people who like what you do will listen to it, and then there's thirty other thousand songs. So they're not going to necessarily follow you or even know what you do next, or they may not even hear more than just that one song. So it's not like it was before. You like put out an album, and someone's going to listen to the album. You know that, and they're going to appreciate it, and you can, you know you create fans that way, and they'll stick with you. It's like yeah, you just got to go on faith, and and have no expectations now about anyone's connection with you so you have to just give music without any expectation of anything coming back to you you know and you got to be okay with that so you have to give it the value of your music has to come from you basically and and if you're not tight with that it's hard to create like it's hard to be in this environment in this market in this landscape and and have that be your thing there's so many ways in which you can just sort of say i don't know like why would i even do this like there are 40,000 of the people who do what I do in the same sort of way. I mean, not the same way because only yeah, I can yeah. do what I do, but like, it's like music is like fungible, like a singer songwriter. Now it's like, you can throw a rock on the street and hit one, you know? And so you, it's all got to come from you. It's all got to come from you, you know? And that's my biggest challenge, I guess, to, to stay creative and to stay in the flow and to keep creating and growing. It's just to be like, all right, like this is why you do it and no one's making you do it and be, be real with that and know, know what this is about for you. Cause there's really no guarantee. Well, I guess it's probably one of the most honest paths you can take. Cause you, if you're going to do it, it's got to really be. Yeah. It's an honest yet. path in theory. You could do it dishonestly. Yeah. yeah okay. But that's the thing. It means something different for each person. So you gotta, you gotta be um, honest with yourself. I'm sure you've had a lot of inspired, you know, musicians who inspire you, I, I am guessing. But have you ever had a musician 
a conversation with a musician that's inspired you and, and, and helped you through? Um, I wouldn't say there's, there's one that sort of I carry around as my sort of main wisdom because I never really had a mentor in this. I think I get my inspiration in sort of healing from just in general, speaking with other musicians, colleagues or whatever, peers who I respect and just being able to talk about music and, and creating and it sort of normalizes it. And I, I love being able to talk that language with other people and see how they do their thing. And I love listening to other people's songs and seeing them play, which is a hard thing now about not being able to see shows because I get very inspired by watching other people do what they do. It sort of get, it sort of refills my well, you know, it'd be like, oh, that's awesome, right? They're giving their, they're saying it in this way. And, and, and I find that very inspiring, you know? So no, I've never had that sort of one piece of like wisdom, but I've certainly had connections, musical connections with artists whose music I, I like um, and just connecting with that, with them, you know, on time to time, listening to their music. Sometimes it'll just hit me. I'll just hear a song of someone I know and, and like, and I'll just be like, oh yeah. And that'll just like send me right off to my guitar. Like it gives you, it inspires you or it gives you a moment. Yeah. Cause it's just like, oh, look, he's doing <laughs> it. Like, and that I feel this way to hear that. And, so I can do that. That's what I do. So you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. It seems like it should be something that you know. <laughs> Maybe someone listening to this would be like, well, yeah, don't you know that? I'm like, no, I don't know it. I really don't. And I have to be reminded of it constantly because it's not always there for me anyway. And when, it's, when it is there, it's, it's, it's there strong and it's, it's very moving. And, but it's not like a constant thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, the whole birth of the Mojo Moments podcast came from like, well, obviously my team ass kicking me and, and us having great conversations. Like if we were to do a podcast, what should we do it on? And we ended up landing on Mojo Moments, but, but it was actually a bit born in 2019. I was just having a little more of a lull in my, you know, career, uh, not a down, but just a little, uh, and I started talking to people <laughs> of different you know, different entrepreneurs, different strengths, uh, some writers, different types of people are just, just, I find inspired. And I was like, that's giving me mojo. It's a little different, but it gave me little things to grab onto or go, ah, oh, that's cool. And I don't necessarily need to do them or, but they give me just little, it's almost like, you know, I don't know if you, if my kids sometimes, we, well, when they're younger, they, we blow up a balloon and play like tap the balloon and just keep it up in the air. You know, it's a bit that, you know, the conversations give that taps the balloon and gets it back up in the air. You know, I like that analogy. Yeah, it is very similar. It's whatever you need to do to stay in that stream, you know, doesn't take a lot. Like it's very easy to be pulled out of it, but if you are sort of aware of that and if you're connected with that feeling that you want to maintain of being excited and and creative and just whatever, happy and inspired, like jazzed on life, there are things you can do, you know, that, that connect you to that every day. And that's important. It's a practice, you know, it doesn't just happen. I guess there are those people out there who are always in that zone, but I'm not one of them. So I have to really like stay on top of it. The musician I know has been, I won't name him because he's super successful. Uh, it's weird. He doesn't like listening to other musicians. He gets competitive. It's like, a, I'm always like, and I try not to judge him on it, but it's always kind of like, I'm always like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I, I would say that's probably not uncommon in a lot of ways. Like, 
I think people who are super successful probably have that thing driving them where they always want to be up there and up there, you know, and sort of, but not in the sense of like beat that guy. It's more, more on a creative professional level of like come up with a new sound or really sort of come out with something that's going to get, have more of a critical angle to it, you know, where you're, you're sort of, you're always pushing yourself to sort of, to express yourself differently, you know, and I'm not always like, uh, you know, love and peace. It's like, sometimes I hear stuff. I'm like, oh, that's good. But it'll be like, oh, that, that I won't be like, oh, that guy or that person doesn't know what they're doing or they don't deserve to be with her. It's more just like, I'll be like on myself and be like, God, like I can do that. Like, why didn't I do that? Come on, dude. What the, f- I'm sleeping at the wheel here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get the competitiveness. I picture a guy like Eminem's like that kind of always like i gotta push the edge and then gets really like hard on himself like in hip-hop and stuff is it's just very much a lot of machismo you know yeah. so it kind of seems driven by that it's funny to be competitive sort of in my genre which is this introspective <laughs> confessional singer songwriter he's like fuck him <laughs> Like, oh, that guy's more sensitive than me. Or he said something more sensitively. sensitively. He's made it more, I don't know, soft and happy. He caught it. Yeah. yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. People are going to want to cry more to his music. Than That's such a fun thought. I'm competitive with the crying he's generating. Um. So look, uh, we're at the stage in our old podcast here. We do this thing called the Rabbit Hole Five. Oh wow! What's what does that mean? Well, it started out as a rabbit, a rapid five, and it never ends up being rapid. So we call it the Rabbit Hole. Okay, first question, my friend. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song that you've created? No. Oh, so you're like they're my children. I treat them all equally. <laughs> No, it changes all the time. And it, it's a roving, it's a roving sort of place. Like I'll hear a song that I haven't heard in a long time that I didn't necessarily used to love and then I'll love it. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. So usually it's the most recent song just because like that's the one you're in, but that, that soon fades and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not as good as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't have my a favorite song. I really don't. I'm not just saying that. It's just, it, I, I guess I would have a, maybe a top 10, but even that, See, I forget a lot of the songs I've written. So there's sometimes if I go back, when I was doing those Sunday shows, or those online shows, I would go deeper back in my catalog and try and play songs I haven't played in a while. And, and, and through that, I was like, oh my God, that's actually, I, I love that song. Like, I didn't, I didn't give that song enough credit. You know? That's wild. Because I remember actually during the pandemic when you're doing your Sunday session, I think that happened and you even spoke about it. And then same time, there was that guy from Coldplay. I'm so bad at names. The, the lead singer, dude. Chris Martin. Chris Martin. What a good name, Chris yeah. Martin. So he was doing his, like, from his fancy house, doing a little piano show. Mm-hmm. And people started, he couldn't remember any of the lyrics of his tunes. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, yeah. and you're kind of like, what the? He doesn't know his song. <laughs> what, does he even write those things? He's a... What's going on there? Has he got like a teleprompter on there? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I, to make space for new songs, you have to forget other ones, but it, it okay. often happens. You get one of your albums you kind of like more? I will say that one of the albums I'm, I'm sort of most proud of is uh, one called The Long Goodbye. 
And okay. it's probably the most sort of raw, somber, minimalist albums I've done. And um, it was just in response to something I was going through at the time, like a heartbreak. And it was, a, I, what I'm very proud of is just the fact that I did it. And, and it was extremely like, like honest, you know, the honesty of that album. There's no sort of pretension. There's no layers that I put there in the writing of the song or in the production of the song. It's all just right out front. Yeah, yeah. And you feel it. You feel the honesty in that. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm very proud of that because it's, it's hard to do that. And, and you can sort of hide a little and deke out a bit. And I, I didn't give myself any of that for that album. And so I'm proud of that one, yeah. Second question. Do you have a Freedom 55 plan? No. Like, do you ever think of retirement or whatever or that? No, no, I'm like reverse. I'm now, now I'm sort of, I'm more excited than ever about music and writing music. So I actually want to like work more <laughs> in, this, in this regard and tour more. I want to get a tour bus and hopefully by then I'll have a family. <laughs> so they'll be sleeping on the bus with you? They'll go on the road with Yeah, them. I want to be Willie Nelson. When it comes time, when you get your bus, like, loop me in, because as my team knows at Cloudraker, I have this obsession with buses, okay? okay. And I've, I've dreamed of being involved with designing the bus. So, oh, great. So if, if you could include, just remember this moment, okay? Yeah, I'm going to need your, your skills. That's yeah. great. Yeah, I, not that I have the skills. It's just I have this thing. Vision. I know yeah, you're a man of vision. vision yeah. Okay, vision. third question. Have you, in your time, had one of those classic rock and roll moments, you know, blurry night, groupies, messed up hotel room? Have you, does that exist in the singer-songwriter world or is that, that's more for Oasis? And <laughs> <laughs> I cannot speak for other singer-songwriters. I can say in my own experience, no, I've never had, never had that sort of um, decadent, rock star glamorous moment that's not so glamorous <laughs> you've never had that fuck gotta get out of that town never never i've never had it ever i've never had it ever i've, I've had ver little little tiny little versions of it that are very distant but not nothing that was ever uh what you would imagine it damn i was i was like hoping to drag up that story that no one's ever heard but i know i know i wish i wish uh, I mean, that's not to say I haven't had a lot of beautiful, uh, sublime, serene moments in music that involved, you know, cool um, scenarios and people, but it was just, there was nothing sort of like rock star-ish, yeah. like nothing like that. Not like almost famous-y, messy. Okay, uh, this is the cheesy question number four that I got to ask. You're stuck on the island. Yeah. You can only take one album with you. Yeah. Not of your own, someone else. What you got to, and it's the only tune you're going to be able to play. Yeah. Uh, how will I answer that? Well, can I give you sort of, I'll give you two albums that I've always <laughs> had in my mind. As, now we're cheating. Or, sorry, three albums that I've always <laughs> had in my mind. Okay, go with it. Go, I'll let you go. You, you can do whatever you want, man. One of them would be uh, Graceland. One of them would be um an album by van morrison called astral weeks and then um i would take 
uh, an album called Funky Kingston by Toots and the Maytals, Toots who recently passed away. Um, those three, I think, would um, I'd be happy. I mean, I'd get sick of them all for sure. But, but that speaks a bit to your musical mojo, eh? Yeah. It's sort of that singer songwriter. You got the. I know. Uh, you know, Paul Simon was criticized for. You know, what do they call uh, cultural appropriation? But I don't understand that because all music is cultural appropriation, I think. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, that, that says a lot to me. I get that. That makes sense. Good. Yeah. I'd bring your albums, bro, <laughs> to all the I musicians would. I have on the show. You're the first one, bro. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, dude, you made the music. There you go. Okay, last question of our rabbit hole five is the one, the advice that you give to yourself when you were 16 that you could give now. You're like, Chris, you're 16. Listen to this advice. Yeah, uh, don't hold back. Don't hold yourself back at all. Go fully without fear. Go fully without restraint. Just go for it fully. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Simple, simple. I do this question because I have a, my eldest child, 16, and I'm like shortcutting advice to the world this way. So, so that was awesome. Do you have your guitar handy? I do. By chance? Can we cheat? Because normally... You know, we, we then edit in your tune at the end and we say, thanks, Chris. Oh, yeah. Do you want an acoustic version of it? Can you do it. Like, does it work? You know, it's tune it is, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. So do you want to just leap into it right now? Yeah. And if you like this podcast, share it around and definitely give it a high rating on the review section. If you have six stars, do that. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Chris, and uh, play us out, man. Thanks, Dan. Here you go. Caught in the folds of a favorite dress With a new definition of my own success She turns around, clicks her cast nets And maybe that's as good as it ever gets Such a complicated truth between staying tight and keeping it loose. Him, he's just a friend of a friend. Though I wonder if he'll stay with me right till the end. Everything I have is stolen. Everything I have is stolen. Everything I have is stolen Everything I have